Welcome to the Practical Church Revitalization Podcast. We look at revitalization in real time, examining the ups and downs of revitalizing and replanting historic and legacy churches throughout New England and the U.S. Now here's your hosts. Hey, Practical Church Revitalization family. Uh, It's Don from Legacy Church, and I am here to introduce this um this this week we are putting up um the talk that Lierte Soares gave at the first pastors encouragement dinner that um Legacy Church held uh this was in um participation with the Baptist Convention of New England and Revitalize New England which is uh, Revitalized New England, for those who do, may or may not know, is a subsidiary ministry of the Practical Church Revitalization Podcast, uh, where Eric Malloy and myself are from New England. Um, we have had this uh, group that meets on Facebook, and uh, it's it's uh, more than just New England pastors. There's a couple of other pastors on there um, from other parts of the country, and it's really a great encouragement. But uh, I wanted to put this video, uh, oh, not video, but um, this audio up there uh, because Lierte uh, just really um, delivers a strong message. I love this guy. Uh, I want to get him on our podcast um <clears throat> he pastors two churches uh one in framingham massachusetts which is framingham baptist church which is actually a church merger of his church plant and another church and then he also pastors uh, precision valley baptist church in north springfield vermont he travels three times a week, a round trip of 240 miles um, to minister to both churches, both areas. He also, he's also known for going between, um, I shouldn't say between, but going around Vermont and Massachusetts um, to sit and encourage and have lunch with a lot of pastors. Um, really uh, inspirational guy, great guy, I love him, uh, true brother in the faith. And without further ado, um, just sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and uh, be re-energized by what Brother Lierte has to say. Uh, now, before we bring the man of the hour, huh? um, just I'm uh, going to give you a little thing that when I had begun the process with Warren to seek doing this and, and looking for a speaker, uh, John Brownlee had reached out to me and said, you know, the Yerte has been trying to do the same thing. You ought to ask him. And it was funny because I sent him an email, I think, or a message like, the day before a pastor, the pastor's MBA pastor's prayer, and I didn't think I was going to see him there, and all of a sudden he comes in, and the first thing he did was he came over, hugged me, and said, I'm there. <laughs> so, um, without further ado, I'll let Lierte come up and introduce himself, but uh, I'm, I'm pleased to know him and pleased to call him a brother. 
joy to be here tonight. And, uh, you know, I speak loud, and maybe I'll speak louder tonight because my <laughs> wife's not here. <laughs> when I speak loud, my wife said, you know, that not everybody's deaf like you. <laughs> I said, okay, now. Uh, but my brother that just spoke here, he has his Portuguese heritage. I have my Portuguese heritage. I know, I know that all the reputation the Italians have to speak loud, right, to make parties, but the Portuguese are the same. <laughs> uh, but I'm very glad to be here. Uh, we brought uh, some folks that all serve in pastoral positions in my ministry. I'm blessed to have that team back there. Uh, Minister Joelson, uh, his pastors are... Um, our worship team and also he's going to another level as he wants to go to pastorate so that's why you know I know this guy over there with his wife since he was four years old oh my. we study at kindergarten uh, from kindergarten to high school and then what it was when I came to the US in 2014 for church planting I saw a picture of him and he was at the pastor retreat down in Florida and I said, man, are you in the U.S.? I said, yes, where are you at? And they said, oh, in Marlboro, Massachusetts. And by that time, I was living in Northboro. And I said, why won't we talk? So after that conversation, we started church planting in Massachusetts. This was in 2014. He didn't have a church yet. And he's a gifted musician. And he's a minister of music and arts. And I'm blessed that he is with me. Also, Daniel and his family. Do this, Daniel. His, uh, his family is there too, like Adriana is with Joelson. Uh, he's a seminary student and he serves us also. Will be a pastor soon. You know, he's already been serving together with us. Uh, pastor Jajir, uh, he's a church planter in Cape Cod and he's also part of our ministry and I'm glad that he's here. And those that doesn't know Mark Gear, it's not Mark Beer. Did you see what John Brown sent the, the, the email? Oh, yes. Come to Mark Beer. So oh, he's not a beer, okay? He's not Budweiser, okay? okay? Let's go to Mark Budweiser or <laughs> it's not Mark Budweiser, Mark Gear, okay? So uh, we're gonna ordain him a pastor and what we're doing from him right now is to build and we are a multicultural church and this is our goal, so we are going to be a multicultural team. People from all backgrounds, all different uh, walks in life, and God's bringing together. Let's see what God is going to do with us. But I'm humble. I'm, I'm really uh, blessed to be here. Uh, first of all, uh, I was blessed to see Brother Terry Dorsett here because uh, uh, if today I serve two churches, uh, it's because God used him. I remember that the process at Precision Valley Baptist Church in Vermont, they had already for years seeking for a pastor they said okay we don't want no more resumes and then i told i called terry and said terry what do you think about sending my resume there and he was the one that said well go to brother and i am so blessed to see him here but one of the things i want to just tell you is um um i think that dawn if if something goes wrong over here it's Don's um, uh, fault, okay, it's not my fault. I think he, he invited me because I think I was the first one to respond, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> well, because he's a great friend, uh, uh, I was thinking about, okay, what should I share with my brothers? First of all, uh, doing a, a huge study on the Bible, uh, this was on God, Gordon Conwell, uh, I was listening to a speaker there. They did a research in the Bible and 400 leaders were identified in the Bible and only 20% of them ended well. From the 400, 
leaders, the speaker was speaking at Gordon Cano, only 20%. That means only 80 people, 80 leaders in the Bible finished well. So it's, it's something that we got to, and, and, and I got some characteristics of these folks that ended well. Uh, humility, intimacy with God, faith, genuine love and courage. I think all these characteristics, it kind of summarize, right? If you want to become a pastor, serve as a pastor, be a pastor, you need to really to understand what humility means and try the best to apply in your life. Intimacy with God, it's a must because... I remember when I became a pastor, they told me, welcome to loneliness world. And sometimes it's only about you. You have some problems, and I know that I have some preacher's wives here, and I'm blessed. My wife's not here because, you know, uh, someone got to pay the bills, right? <laughs> so she, she was working. But uh, the point to that, that there's some stuff that not even our wife is we're able to share with them. And we are called by God to be this anonymous heroes. Uh, we are people, all, and, and, and I'm very blessed with the first responders and those heroes that we have in our country, people that really, they're able to sacrifice. However, the pastors are these invisible first responders. When there's something happening in the family, who are you going to call? Not Ghostbuster, right? You call the pastor, right? And it's interesting, like, uh, and sometimes we're invisible, and uh, we, we, we don't want to take no credit to us. All the glory belongs to God. But one of the things that I want to just sell you for us to start is, I'm not impressed how people start in ministry. I am impressed how people are ending. Who is ending well? And I'm fascinated to hang out with other pastors, guys that have, you know, some mileage ahead of me and said, man, what what you do? I mean, I just got a teenager boy and I just heard that last week he went to the shopping mall and there was a girl there. <laughs> and I said, wow. What world is this? He's only 13. And, and so I want to deal, okay, how is it to be a pastor, but pass a teenager boy? I want to learn, you know, my pastor, for example, he lost his wife two years ago. And down in Louisiana, I know that things are not easy with him. How is it a pastor to lose his wife? So I'm really focusing on to hang out with this group over here that we can share our hearts. Let me tell you something. Even though that loneliness is this place that most of us sometimes we need to flirt, sometimes date and even get married with loneliness, but we need each other. We need each other because we don't forget that we're leaders. We don't forget that every Sunday we got to preach, but very often we forget that we're humans. And that's a very, very, uh, very tough problem. It's interesting that when we come to a place like this, and we're going to share a little bit about pastors, you know, Wayne Cordero once said, you know, we do not forget that we're Christians, but we often forget that we're humans. And everyone, you know, wins when a leader becomes better. Everyone wins when you are well. I come from a family of three generations of pastors, and let me tell you something. What I didn't want to do with my life was to become a pastor, to be a pastor. You know, I, 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 I was that kind of kid that's like, no way I'm doing what my grandfather does. And it's interesting, every birthday party, every Christmas, you know, instead of giving me toys, he would give me Bible. I may have about a hundred something Bibles, you know. All the parties, Christmas, it was always a Bible as a gift. All versions that you can think of it. Say a Bible, I have it, okay, I have it. So, I have a Bible. And it was so interesting and awkward 
to have a grandfather that invests in my life. Of course, he didn't not even give a pressure for me to become a pastor. But it was awkward, you know. It's like, I want a Nintendo, you know. <laughs> Duck Hunt, Mario Brothers. And here he comes with another Bible. I said, okay, one more for my set, for my collection. <laughs> I remember when I was 16, there was this man of God that showed up at our church. And all of a sudden, this is a man of prayer. He came to my father and told my father, one of your kids is going to be a pastor. You know what I did? I have a young brother. I went down on my knees, started crying, said, Sergio, you're the man. And I'm the older brother. When you go on missions, my brother, I'll take care, I'll work, I'll support you, I'll give you money, and you're going to be, you know, well taken care because, you know, you're, you're the chosen one. And every time that I saw my younger brother, you know, I thought that he was the chosen one, really. Because I didn't, never thought and never was willing to be the pastor. Because not that was a, I was a bad boy, but it's like I wanted something else to do with my life. And it's interesting how we change. I mean, Tim Keller, it's interesting. You all heard of Tim Keller. Once they asked him, why did you wrote your first book at the age of 50? His answer was so awesome. And I can connect myself. It's like, well, I waited for me to change my way and my views and my viewpoints and my thinking. I mean... At 50, you don't change that much, right? But before 50, we change a lot. And then there's this uh, awesome study from Harvard University that says, and ladies, wait until you hear this, okay? Be praying for you, that men only reach maturity at the age of 56. So that makes sense, okay? You didn't know, but you married to a child. And guys, we don't have wives. We have another mother, okay? So... The point is that it's like life is so crazy as a pastor. And I didn't want to be a pastor. No way. I wanted to, you know, make money. Uh, I wanted to do something. My father was already in the business field. I mean, I didn't want to be an accountant business as he was, but I wanted to do something else. I ended up going to law school, and I thought that this is what I want. And always this thing about that brother coming to our church and telling my father... But it, it was so amazing how God worked things inside of me. Now, going just traveling to time, going back in 2015, I was a church planter here in the U.S. All of a sudden, my car breaks. And you know, church planters, we have the gift of breaking cars, right? Yep. Uh, we got the really the last model, right? 1988 or 1991, right? Uh, so I had a Jeep, and my Jeep was just broken, and I was starting the ministry in Vermont. And then my brother is visiting the U.S., visiting the big brother. The big brother that now is a pastor. But the small brother, the little brother, you know, he comes to me and he conspires. And it's awesome because when you're a pastor, when you're called to ministry, God conspires, not against you. God's conspiration is for you. So uh, he got together with my wife and then he took me to a car dealership. Um, and it was amazing because he got me a brand new car. Uh, and he said, remember the prophecy? Remember the man of God? So you're the missionary. I'm the psychiatrist, so I take care of you. <laughs> so he's a medical doctor. He makes money. Uh, probably now he's doing so good in the business that he has almost 100 people working for him at his clinic. Um, but there's something that I want to tell you tonight about this little story. My brother calls me and said, you know something, even though that I do stuff, how come you're happier than me? Even though that I own stuff, how come, you know, every time that I talk with you, you're so peaceful? 
And then God started talking to me. And let me tell you something. If I was my brother, a psychiatrist, I could not be in America. You know why? Because they don't give visas to psychiatrists or other professionals. I mean, for you to get a visa, you need to have a job position. And let me tell you, there are so plenty of people and professionals in America that can take that job. But if you are a minister of the gospel, they make your way through it. If you're a minister of the gospel, even though that the world is upside down, you know, God gives, not only in this country, but in a lot of countries in the world, God gives us some privilege. And sometimes in ministry, things are a little dark, and you don't see that. You are an ambassador to nations. It's interesting, going back to my high school years, those days that I thought that I was going to do something else in my life, I went to this psychologist, and you know, when you get to the last year of high school, they bring you to those ton of people that they're going to find out which career do you fit. And all the tests that I did, okay, I, I didn't fit to become a, a, a football player, okay, because most of the kids, they want to become like superstars of that. But I said, no, you, you got some international stuff over here. Maybe you become work for an embassy. Maybe it's like your characteristics, Learte. And it's interesting. When I look at back, what do I do? I'm an ambassador to nations. You are an ambassador to nations. Now the privilege, and I want just for the introduction, and I totally agree with you, my brother, and highly, you know, it's like totally agree with you, and also thank you for your service to our nation. You blessed us, and we also acknowledge that and other guys that serve in the forces. But to be a pastor is a great privilege. It's interesting how my brother's peers, his friends, his, you know, guys that make a lot of money, they respect me. I went to Brazil, and, and all the doctors, I mean, I mean, I went to this doctor place, and just because my brother's a doctor, he didn't charge me anything, but he says, no, it's because you're a man of God. I mean, do people acknowledge that? Yes, there are people that acknowledge us as men of God. And sometimes maybe because of pressure, maybe because just a bad season. And let me tell you something, even champs have bad seasons. Do you remember Tom Brady, what happened? I mean, before he went out of the Patriots, I mean, he was not in his best. All of a sudden, we all regret that he got out of the Patriots, right? <laughs> well, Lord, bring him back. But the problem is, some of us, we face difficulties to find the field that we're in and also to remain in the field. Because sometimes the field that we're in, the mission field, is so tough. And coming to New England, let me tell you something. We need the Holy Spirit to keep us warm. Because sometimes ministry in New England is like you are living the winter without a pair of old socks on your feet. And let me tell you, you can have a Bodera's heating system, man. You can have like the Mercedes of heating system without, without an old pair of socks on your feet. Winter stuff. You get cold. And sometimes ministry is this cold place. It's not only in America. It's not only in New England. You know, they're saying that there's a revival in Brazil, and I was there 100 days ago, and people were complaining that, you know, just COVID-19 has shaken the nation. And the things that we're facing here, they're facing here. And worldwide, people are facing. But don't forget, God called us to be ambassadors. It's interesting how ambassadors, you know, they face some, some hardships sometimes. And I know that sometimes because of the demands, we don't feel that we 
meet the demands. We don't feel like uh, it seems that we have these symptoms of, man, especially on Monday morning. Stephen, what do you do on Monday morning, man? I don't know about you, man, but I'm very depressed on Mondays. That's why I go. When I go back and I say, what's going on? I mean, and because, you know, people that I forgot to greet or sometimes a part of the sermon that I forgot to share and all of that. And, you know, an altar call that I called. And in Brazil, I had a guy, his name was Junior. Every Sunday, he accepted Jesus. I got excited there. So I said, in America, we don't have Junior here. And sometimes, as we know our reality here, that we have bivocational ministry. Because the high cost and all that, you know, we flirt with the possibility of living ministry. I remember since I got over here, you know, I, I've, been, I've been seeing some guys that were here in the beginning. Where are they? I mean, they, some headed south. You're like the birds in the winter. Where are the guys, you know, they headed south? But the reality is this, you know, there's a research done by Wayne Codero. 90% of pastors, they work 55 to 75 hours a week. And the problem is that we work and people don't see it. I was just sharing the other day at the pastor's meeting that I was in my home and I got my prayer list, praying for people, and someone showed there. The, the guy's from Framingham. So, but don't ask me. I won't tell you who he is, okay, guys? Um, and he showed at my house. You know, he had something to do with the motor vehicle and just said, and I was in my prayer time and praying for people. And he said, you know, it's like, that's what you're doing. I told him, well, I'm praying. So you're doing nothing. So come with me to the, uh, uh, to the motor vehicle. You know, sometimes people don't, don't understand. They don't see. But I'm here to remind you that God is seeing everything. Amen. And he is, you know, we are the preachers of an audience of one person. We're not to please the big fighters, or we're not to please people, but we're pleased. We are here, and we are in our congregations to please God. It's interesting how we see that, you know, there was a, um, um, a research done some years ago that the average of pastoral ministry in America lasts five years only. And let me tell you something. If you're over five years... You're a big champion. <laughs> Maybe you never noticed this, but the average of pastoral ministry in America is five years. So if you have six, you made it. When I reached my sixth ministry in America, I said, man, I'm Tom Brady of Jesus. I survived the good fight. Because some guys, you know, they just, you know, it's like, yes, 50% in a ministry in America, they live ministry in the first five years. 38%, you know, of Pastors in America, they face divorce and divorce proceedings. If you're still kissing the mouth, hugging, and doing something, man, praise the Lord. You got a wife. Be happy. <laughs> and 95% of the pastor's family feel the pressure. It's interesting. As a preacher's kid, and I didn't tell you that my father also is a pastor, and a preacher's grandkid. I didn't want to be a pastor, really, not because of the testimonies of my parents or my grandparents. They are godly people, but because of the pressure. The pressure of, I didn't have my dad with me all the time. I just had my grandfather on birthday parties and bringing another Bible for my collection. <laughs> and why I'm here? Because in America, 80% Don. And thank you for doing this. 80% of our guys, 80% of the pastors in America are disencouraged. So I'm here really to tell you guys, hey guys, 
God has called us and God has given us a privilege to bring the light, to bring answers to people's life. Even though that people don't acknowledge that, remember, we are servants of one king. He knows what we're doing. It was 11 years ago, and you can write it down if you want, in the New York Times, you know, congregations gone wild. It's a famous article. And that was the first time there was a big discussion in America how the pastor's life were just shaken by this postmodern world. It was the first time that people really acknowledged, you know, there's something going wild in America's congregations. Why? You know, the people that used to live longer, they're dying early. The people that used to have a great lifestyle and a quality of life, and the article goes, pastor stuff now from obesity, hypertension, depression, and levels higher than the most Americans in the last decade among them. The use of a lot of medication rose while the expectation of life went down. And many of them would change their profession. Let me just tell you guys from a guy that never wanted to be a pastor. I didn't plan to be a pastor. But as time goes on, I got to this conclusion. I couldn't choose the best thing to do with my life. Because as more as you grow in Christ, as more as you grow understanding the value of the call and honoring God, let me tell you something. This is the best investment that we could do. I know that sometimes we feel the pressure of leaving. You know, some people tell me, you know, it's like, okay, how is that? Uh, um, um, I'm bivocational. How do you pastor two churches? And I say, well, I, for me, it's the best way that I found because instead of having a secular job and then a church, having two churches, it gave me what I needed in a sense of a balance to my life and I can or, you know, organize my schedule. But let me tell you something. I was made for this. And this is what I want to tell you. In your congregation, where you are, God made you for this. You know, there's something why this is taking place in America, and I know that the word is kind of tough, but uh, there's some pastors that shouldn't be pastors. And let me tell you why. Are you able to take a punch? Because pastors need to be men to take a punch. I really respect you, sir, as a military guy, and also done, also served. I mean, all the guys that serve. Because, you know, when, when you have this soldier mindset, you're able to take a punch. The cause of Christ is the greatest cause in this world. What we have in our hands is the ultimate power. What we have in our life is this is what the gift that God has given us. And let me tell you something. Let's encourage one another because really I see a room over here of true pastors. I, I can say that I know almost everybody in this room. And I'm glad to be your friend because you are a man of God. And praise God, you're not of those pastors that give up and just, you know, why this is taking place in America. First of all, it's really, you know, a pastoral thing that some guys, you know, they should not be pastors because uh, they cannot take a punch. They cannot uh, deal with some, some stuff like pressure. And let me tell you something, church is not for boys. It's for real men. For real men that are able to sacrifice. When I think about my grandfather, my grandfather was that kind of pastor that back in the 50s, he used to ride horses to preach the gospel. 
Can you imagine riding horses to go to church like five hours riding a horse? He would walk to the pulpit like this. <laughs> Praise the Lord that back in those days there were no songs of jumping, right? It was very traditional. Really, it was traditional. Not because of the tradition. It's because people could not move. They were stuck in the service. Ride a horse and I tell you. So I remember my grandfather did you know that my father never cheated in school? And I'm not saying that cheated is, cheating is okay, but he did his school years with my grandfather because my grandfather was brought up in a rural area. There was no school. But the time that he accepted Jesus, the gospel brought him, you know, the light and said, I need to learn how to read. I need to learn how to write. And my, my father was already a student, and so they studied together from kindergarten to high school. Can you imagine your father being your classmate <laughs> <laughs> Hebrews chapter 13 verses 7 and 8 the Bible says remember your former leaders who spoke God's message to you think back on how they lived and died imitate their faith and verse 8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever every time that I think about stopping or I'm flirting with the pressure of giving up. I remember my grandfather. He's 87 now. And he tells me all the time that I call him. When I get older, I may think about retirement. <laughs> and I said, imagine I cannot be weaker than this guy. <laughs> when my pastor lost his wife, she battled uh, brain cancer. Jesus could heal her. But it was a decision that God promoted her to a better place. You know, I was there with my, my pastor, and it reminds me of how he dealt with the passing of his wife. And every time that I think about something in my life, God brings me to the experience of my leaders, and I remember how they lived their life. I had a brother in Christ that he passed away. He was one of the guys that really put into my life. And I remember his lifestyle. I remember how he opened his Bible. You know, we have some mentors, some people in our life that even the way that they open the Bible is just so unique, so beautiful, that sometimes even the smell of his Bible, I can remember. Whatever brings hope to you in ministry, this is what Scripture is saying. Remember your former leaders, how they live. Imitate their faith. You know why sometimes the pastor's crisis in America, there's also something in the church. There's some churches that should not be called church. Because as we pastors, we understand that God has empowered us and called us to such a great ministry. And it's a blessing, it's a privilege to us. Some churches, they need to acknowledge that and thank you, brother, for what I saw here, that you have this heart. Just bring this to the congregation to honor Brother Don. That, you know, pastors, I'm not saying that we need to be spoiled by our churches, but we need to be respected. Amen. You know, we need just a little bit of respect. Just a little bit of understanding. Because we're humans. It doesn't mean that we're going to all be okay or we're all going to do the right things all the time. But some churches should not be called church. 
Because some churches, they treat their pastors so badly. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, 17, the Bible says, Obey your leaders and follow their orders. They watch over your souls without resting, since they must give to God an account of their service. If you obey them, they will do their work gladly. If not, they'll do it sadness. And that would be of no help to you. This is a word to the church. And why sometimes we're sad is just because that feedback, we do our best. We do the best as we can. We neglect family. We neglect our health. I'm not saying that this thing is okay for you to do, but you know what I'm saying. And sometimes it's like you're just hitting a wall. Sometimes it's just no echo, no feedback. People be, need to be aware that that sadness is Satan's strategy to damage the church, to destroy. And like I said, some pastors should not be pastors. Some churches should not be churches. And I go to us back again. And some pastors sin because they don't take care of themselves. It's interesting. I texted Dawn and I was waiting for my wife to arrive home from her job. And I texted Don, you know, I'll be for some minutes. But I texted my wife back and she said, no, go to the command, go to, to the pastor. I said, no, you're my priority. The pastors will wait. Yeah. Our kids are my priority. The pastors will wait. Sometimes pastors, taking care of ourselves is, is taking care of our families. And even though that you, know, you don't mean, because you, you know what's the pastor's big lover? Uh, every pastor has a lover, and it's called the church. But sometimes, let me tell you this, our family needs to have a different feedback from us. And I, I can show you my phone. I text my wife, you and the kids are my priority. The pastors will wait. And I know that even though that I know my commitment, I know that I have to be here, and I don't want to offend you guys, but my wife needs to hear that from me. My kids need to hear that. And this is how I take care of myself because... I know, like I said, I know most of you guys. What we do on Sunday, if we're not waiting at home, we cannot do what we do on Sunday. If there's something wrong in our homes, how can we do what we do on Sunday if something's going on wrong with our wife is with our kids? We gotta live a legit life and pastor sins when they do not take care of themselves. If it's the health, is it mental health? I don't take long vacations, but I do a lot of getaways during the year. Do you know why? Because sometimes church gets so tough that I feel, you know, before I kill someone, let me get out of here. <laughs> you know, so let me get out of here. And people, you know, so I know that a lot of you said, Junior, it's like, okay, how do I keep my smile? It's the Holy Spirit and these getaways because sometimes... Or you going to kill someone, or you need to get away. You know, just to get away for you know three days or two days or a weekend, because it's tough, and you're human. And pastor sins because they do not take care of themselves. It's my conversation with my old leader, my grandfather, and I said, you know, it's like tell me, I mean, how many times you thought. You know, about giving up ministry. And he shared with me about three times. And <laughs> back in the days, he said, you know something. Your father came to me one day and said, you know what's making money, Dad? And he said, what? Selling encyclopedias. Leave the pastor and sell some encyclopedias. You know those guys that knock on the door in the past <laughs> selling encyclopedias? 
Praise God that didn't change my position because I would be unemployed by now. <laughs> Mr. Google would get my job. <laughs> but learning how to say no, that's my problem. I have a problem on saying no. I gotta work that out. Because saying no, most of the times, it will be good for me. And it's a sin when I don't take care of myself. I'm also taking, I, I'm doing some, some health checkups, of course, and welcome to America, baby. I gained 35 pounds since 2014. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> I went to Brazil, and people stared at me and said, that's to you. <laughs> so you got double, I mean, man, you look like an elephant. And I said, man, I feel okay, but it's like the American standard's different, right? When you go to Brazil, small chairs, and you feel like, wow. <laughs> well, we gotta take care of ourselves, that we can live long. We gotta take a, a care of ourselves, that we can have a good relationship with people that we love. There's a pastor said, I'm not impressed anymore how the leaders begin. I care how they end. And I want to end right. I want to end strong. And I want to end not, and let me tell you, when I, when I end my days in Framingham or Precision Valley, I want to make sure that the congregation is strong, that I can pass the baton. This is, this is my dream. As I saw at Calvary Baptist Church, the baton is about to pass to the next leader. Said the congregation is still strong. You know the leaders are here. You know my grandfather is doing the right thing. I mean he's about to pass the baton, and the church is not dying. The church is healthy. Lord, give me this opportunity. Amen. And I want to share a thought with you, and it's a challenge. We are in a congregation that is older than our nation. Did you know that? What a privilege! What a privilege that. About three plus hundred years ago, right, Don? People started this church. And we're still here. Praising God. God has called a new ambassador, Don, and his wife. And they are thriving. You know, making the next generations accountable. Making something that will make a difference. And when the next generation speak of us, I ask you, if they remember that we existed... It matters little how each one of us begin. But the difference will be how much each of one of us has finished. And let me tell you, what impresses me is how a pastor finishes well. Your family needs you to finish well. This congregation or the congregation that you pastor needs you to finish well. Another thing that comes to my mind, and all the time, you know, that I think about pastoral ministry and I go to the Bible and I see this. It's like, okay, my prayer is that you can finish well. But let me just tell you this. Remember your leaders. There's a guy that blessed me so much, and I know that blessed a lot of you. I know, Stephen, that this guy blessed you. And I know... Ken, I'm at Barbie tonight. That yeah. Ken is here. Um, We're famous now. Yes. <laughs> Jim Whiteman. Yes. He's the kind of guy that very often I remember to keep me focused. I don't know, but I can show you 
I have one of his Bibles in my car. Do you know why? And it's written his name. For me to keep in focus that I have a mission to accomplish. I'm a soldier. And as Jim Wyden, I mean, I was in the last annual meeting that he led. And he gave a report like when he got here, how many churches. And there were so many churches throughout his ministry. That is motivation. Seeing Brother Terry and his vision and supporting Brother Terry. I mean, can you imagine when Brother Terry, you know, finished his term? How many more churches will have in New England? Amen. That needs to motivate us. Amen. And just remember the day one, Don, when you got here. And look how the Lord has blessed you. Think about the church and the pastors and those leaders. Remember your leaders, those who spoke with you the word of God. Consider the outcome, the way of life that they had and imitate their faith. You know, imitating their faith is becoming a genuine Jesus disciple. Let me tell you, we can say anything, but we only reproduce who we are. And that's why we got to make sure as pastors that we are doing the best that we can and that we are called for something that this world is in great need. And it's the highest call. It's bigger Amen. than the President of the United States. Amen. The other day I got my kids. You know, I'm starting my American journey. I became an American citizen. Uh, it was just about two years ago or a year ago. And I'm trying the best that I can to teach my boys to love this nation. So we got the car. And we, we went down to Washington, D.C., you know, with this COVID thing, everything was almost closed. Uh, but uh, we went to the White House. And I went to the White House. Of course, I could not get inside there because now they have a big black fence that covers the whole area. But I raised my hand and I started praying. And my little boy, he did the same thing. And there was someone that passed by. She was, I think, from New Mexico, some place in that area. And she says, this nation is not going to fall because we have men of God that still believe in God and still lift up our nation and our president to the hands of God. Amen. Amen. Let me just remind you, pastors, there are still people that believe in this country. Remember Elijah when he had a crisis that he thought that he was the only guy? Remember how many thousands of prophets there were back in his days? In this country, we still have godly people and godly leaders. And you are part of this greater plan that God is working. I was talking to a guy yesterday. We were having this meeting with a Southwestern professor. And he's a missiology. And he's saying, you know what's going on in America? In all the inner cities, in the, 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 in the inner city, in big cities in America, there's always a new church plant starting in every corner in America. You know something? Maybe you're not seeing this. But when God decided to connect all these dots, let me tell you something. Fire is coming down from the sky. And we're going to see this nation shaken by a great revival before the return of Christ. And you're a part of that. You're part of that. Nothing that is big today started big. Everything that is big today started small. And as a ministry, our ministry and our ministers... As we serve this nation, maybe you think you're too small. Maybe you think that your church, let me tell you something. Stop thinking. 
<laughs> and let's just rely that God is going to do the game. Amen. And he's going to win for us. Be still. Be faithful. And remember your leaders. And let God bring you to the place that he called you to be. Greatest ambassadors of Christ. Let's stand. I want to pray for you this time. And what a privilege was it to be over here. Another thing I would like to thank you, all brothers and sisters, Baptists. This month we celebrated in Brazil 150 years that the Baptist ministry got into Brazil. It was on September 10th that the first American Baptist families, right after the Civil War, they moved to Brazil. They were professionals. They were not like only missionaries, but they started the Baptist ministry there 150 years ago. And what I just want to tell you something, America is still sending out missionaries out there, and it's because of our churches coming together and understand that we have a high call from the Lord, and we're ambassadors of Christ. You're very important, Jim. You're a very special guy in your community. Everyone here, you're a very special person because God has called you to greater purpose. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this night. And Lord, thank you, Lord, for Don and um, for Legacy Church, Lord, putting this dinner together. So many great friends, people, Lord, that I love, that I admire, Lord, that are here, Lord. Lord, I can't do anything, but in your word, you can Lord, I just want you to encourage my brothers and sisters that are here. Lord, be with them. And surprise us, Lord. Bring the joy every minute in our ministry, Lord, that while you called us, Lord, it's the greatest purpose. It's the greatest thing, Lord. It was the best decision that we made in our lives when we decide to accept the call that you have for us. Bless the churches here. Bless the church, Lord, that is hosting this event as Don goes through this replanting, Lord, journey with them. And bless the churches in New England. We pray and ask you, Lord, to renew our ministries and renew our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much and God bless you.